0: if love were food some of us grew up on little more than a little bite of bread and a bowl of old soup each day and if a kid were starved nutritionally like that you'd see it for what it is it's abuse it would stunt their growth they might not be able to run or climb or learn they might get sick or lose their hair it would show now people outside the family notice this kind of thing and they care and they do something So when you were starved for love and attention as a kid, did something similar happen to you emotionally, psychologically, neurologically? Because that's what's going on. Neglect causes changes that cause illness and learning problems and connection problems with other people. Hey, it's Anna here. Just taking a little pause to talk about getting help when you're having a rough time. There are a lot of things you can try, and one of them is online therapy through BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And those are very good things because finding a therapist can be really hard. BetterHelp makes it easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist who meets your criteria. And when you click the special link that I'm gonna give you, it not only helps this podcast, but it gets you 10% off your first month of therapy. So you can connect with a therapist, see what happens, and if anything feels like it's not a fit, which is common in therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost. No stress about insurance or who's in your network, or anything like that. So if you're struggling, and you need to talk to a human, try BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com slash ccf. CCF stands for crappy childhood fairy. That's betterhelp.com slash ccf. There's also a link in the episode description if you need it. That might be easier. Thanks for sponsoring us BetterHelp. Now back to the show. And what I want to talk about today is how neglect can cause real devastating problems detecting who is safe and who is dangerous, who has your best interests at heart and who is using you and I want to talk about the price that you might be paying if that's happening for you and you're not yet healing from it because you can. It's really important that you heal and I'm here to tell you there is hope So I got a letter this week from someone I'll call Nora and she writes, Dear Anna, I have CPTSD as well as ADHD. My parents were immature, emotionally unavailable, and my dad drank a lot. So I'm also a grown child of an alcoholic. Right now I'm on medication and trying to put my life back together. For almost four years now I've been dating a guy, let's call him Matt, When I met him online his pictures and description were great. He seemed to be a mature, intelligent, strong guy. We met and we fell in love. In fact I felt love for the first time in my life. Our goals seemed to be the same, a long-term relationship. I'm circling that because you know I'm going to come back through this letter after we read it through one time and talk about what what you said here. But after a short time Matt's behavior showed some red flags. He didn't have much time for me as he worked almost 24-7. We met only once a week for several hours. We never went on vacation. We never spent Christmas together and never even spent a whole night together. All of this he tells me is because he is worn out by the job. He says he has severe anxiety and he can't do all those things with me now. But one day when he gets proper rest he will. Okay, when I first understood the situation it was shocking. I had never been with a man who had so many limitations. I knew deep in my gut that this situation wasn't good for me but of course I thought that I could handle this and since I felt I found my true love it was worth fighting for. But here we are almost four years later, not much has changed We don't live together, we meet once or twice a week, we never spend whole nights together, and my man shows more and more signs of his PTSD and other problems. He claims he loves me. I am the woman of his life and soon everything will change. He went to psychotherapy yesterday. He knows that there is something really wrong with him. A year or two ago, I would have considered the fact he went to a therapist a dream come true, but now it just isn't. I guess I'm just worn out by the relationship especially by waiting for him to get his shit together and finally be with me like a normal couple. I wanted to be with him from the beginning, to live with him, to go on trips, to spend holidays together. I didn't get any of these and I really don't know if I ever will. During the four years I've been seeing Matt I've had a lot of hard things happen. First I lost the job I loved. I was a television reporter. It took me a long time to get another job but I didn't have the same money and prestige. I found out my parents had to move to another apartment because they were not paying their rent. Then three years ago my father died. Then a nephew took his own life. I had to change my job two months ago for another job I don't really like that much and that doesn't pay enough to support myself. I'm working from home so I don't have anybody to talk to. I don't have any friends. I'm really depressed and scared. I feel too weak at this point to even think about living with Matt anymore. I don't have the energy to execute this great project called Living Together and all the steps involved, like finding a proper place, moving from my place, arranging all our things, and decorating. I'm afraid we couldn't even manage to live together since we both have CPTSD and other problems, like depression and anxiety. I feel like I'm not a good partner now because I think only about myself and how miserable I feel. I really don't know what to do. Maybe you can help me. I'd be really grateful if you would. Yours sincerely, Nora. Poor Nora. (laughs) I'm so sorry you're going through this. I hope you see how closely your experience right now is matching what you went through as a kid. Can't change the past but Nora we can help you change your life right now and there's some stuff here that i think having an outside perspective is going to be really helpful for you all right so let's go through the letter all right you have cptsd and adhd uh, totally understandable parents were immature emotionally unavailable uh sounds like somebody who's in your life now right and your dad drank a lot so you're an adult child of an alcoholic i know how that is Right now, I'm on medication and trying to put my life back together. So what you said right there set the whole thing up, that your life has fallen apart. And you told us later how, so we'll get to that. For almost four years now, you're dating Matt. Met him online, he had a great, his description was great. He seemed mature, intelligent, strong. Matt fell in love, felt love for the first time in your life. This is all great, this is growth, right? and your goals seem the same, a long-term relationship. All right, first I'm just going to ask you about that. Are you not looking to get married? And I ask you because you'll hear me say this in a lot of videos, almost never when I'm coaching somebody who has CPTSD are they able to say that what they want is marriage. And so they say something like long-term relationship. Well, that could be a relationship of three years. Is that actually what you're aiming for? Or are you hoping for a relationship that you can totally settle down in and live your life and maybe you know uh, have a home together. I don't know exactly how old you are or if children are in your future but to create a family perhaps to save for your retirement together to take care of each other through thick and thin to have friends together to volunteer together the things that normal couples do like you said that would be more like a marriage right? And so I just am going to flag that, that you said a long-term relationship. I think sometimes the, the first problem that's introduced for people with CPTSD when they end up in a really unfulfilling relationship, which you have, is that they are afraid to claim what they actually want. So you have a long-term relationship. You have one right now. It's gone on four years, that's long-term. And it is a relationship even though it's a thin one. It's thin soup, right? All right so after a short time his behavior showed red flags and that's the great thing about dating when you do it carefully is after a short time the red flags if there are any they're going to appear but you were already with him which is totally normal that's what we do (laughs) that's what we do and um, he didn't have much time for you as he worked almost 24 7. 24 7 okay Uh, I'm gonna read the rest of this part that you wrote. You you, You met only once a week for some hours. You never went on vacation, never spent Christmas together, never spent a whole night together. All this he told you is because he's worn out by his job. He's just so tired, he has severe anxiety, can't do all those things with you, but one day when he gets some rest he will. Okay, so first huge red flag here and you didn't seem to notice it but this sounds to me like somebody who already is married, married or living in a relationship. Where is he on Christmas? When does he take a holiday? Where does he sleep? Have you ever been to his house? Have you ever met anybody in his family or any of his close friends? You didn't mention that Um, and I'm just going to flag that for you to consider as you hear this because if when you put two and two together here and consider does he already live with a partner or married to one who knows perhaps have a child with one does it all fit does all the information now fit now if you were to tell me no i have been to his house it's it's not like that he's really just messed up i would say he is severely avoidant And as you've noticed, he's not available for a a relationship. He can't even spend the night. That's a level of avoidance. You can call it anxiety or PTSD. Maybe that's what's driving it. But the result is avoidance, inability to have a relationship with you. I think it's great he's going to a therapist, but going to his first therapy appointment is, oh, it's like too little too late, really. I hope he gets better. It could take a long time. These things do. I want to introduce to you the possibility of totally working on yourself as you are and not being in this relationship so that you can be together with somebody who is available who's available like right now and when you date and fall in love within a certain amount of time yes you can spend whole nights and christmas and get married and live together and do all that stuff that you want to do Um, it's funny because sometimes i know i was in the same boat you need somebody outside yourself to say you know Nora, do you see that you just put a big wall up for you not to get what you want? You've just, it's like a wall that prevents you getting what you want because Matt's not the one who's going to give it to you and because he's there occupying that boyfriend space in your life, nobody else can get to you either and the time, the time of your life is passing. I'm going to talk about s- some other aspects of this that really need your attention. Okay, a year or two ago, I would have considered the fact that he went to a therapist a dream come true. Yeah, a year or two, I think that it could have made a difference, but now it just isn't. I guess I'm worn out by this relationship, especially by waiting for him to get it together and finally be with me like a normal couple. Yeah, you don't have to wait. You don't have A, a healthy relationship does not involve waiting for somebody to get it together so that they can be with you. That's just by nature, that is an unavailable man. That's what it is. And you know, like no blame to you with an alcoholic dad, with emotionally unavailable parents, like that's what we do. You're having normal symptoms of somebody who had a very abnormal, hurtful upbringing. But here we are, you wrote to me, you can heal this, you can heal this. And you're very brave because I know you watch my videos and you know that I really sometimes just say the truth as hard as it is to hear. But you're blocking out. You're blocking out any possibility of getting what you want right now, Nora. And um, so I'm going to say that to you. Probably you're going to have some tears. I think it's going to come as a relief to just get some validation. Yeah, that's what's going on. And you know what? Sometimes that's what we have to do because intimacy with people is extremely triggering. And if your PTSD is very hard and you know out of control, something's got to give. So I'm noticing you had all this problem. With employment after you got in this relationship that's a that's not a good sign for a relationship but it also suggests that maybe you had like a like this little bit of bandwidth for dealing with stuff that's stressful and if your relationship is going to be full of worry and stress and no validation then you can't really you know the job a job would have to be like a perfectly smooth sailing episode to handle it but jobs are usually kind of you know involve some fear and insecurity and strife and conflict sometimes too and especially if you were a TV reporter that's pretty intense and very commendable and if you did it before you can do it again you know but that's hard and it sounds like you could only do one hard thing at a time consider this Nora that in the future you can be alone and or in a relationship that is nourishing and comforting to you so that when you do scary brave things professionally your home life supports you and makes it easier and lifts you up a little bit towards where you're trying to go. You get to have that, okay? You deserve it. All right. You want to go on trips. You want to spend holidays together. You didn't get any of these. You really don't know if you ever will. Okay, you know. I think you You got your answer on this guy. I'm just going to say you do have your answer on this guy. With him, you're not but perhaps with somebody else you will and by the way holidays and trips can be wonderful when you're single and of course there's going to be some single time and if your parents the way that your parents were rough I would bet dollars to donuts that you that abandonment is is a thing is a trigger for you so leaving a relationship is difficult and scary and you might avoid it and stay in a cruddy situation that's unhappy for you just because leaving anything is is so emotionally intense you feel like you're going to break but you're in the crappy childhood fairy community now and in fact if you come do the daily practice and come to the free calls and maybe get a buddy you're going to have free instant support and who knows maybe you're able to be in the membership program too with the group coaching but if you can just start learning the daily practice also i'm going to suggest to you i do this to so many people especially when there's financial hard times 12-step programs you have an adult You're an adult child of an alcoholic, yay, you qualify for adult children of alcoholics in Al-Anon, CODA. And those are great places where you can meet friends who are also working on themselves, who can be a positive influence on you, who can help you have people to hang out with. In fact, people to spend holidays with, people to take trips with, like good friends, good friends who make relationships... uh, something that would be nice to have that you can step up to when and if you meet somebody who makes you happy who brings happiness into your life who supports you who helps you take a step up in your life that step up all right when you one really important sign i'll give you two really important signs of a relationship of when it's right one is how do you feel in that relationship like what happens to your energy What happens to your energy in that relationship? So you're with this guy who's always complaining that he's tired. Now you're tired. You're worn out. You don't have energy for anything. This is terrible. This is terrible. (laughs) Energy is your life. And the amount of energy that you have is how much life you have to pursue what makes you happy. So energy is so, so important. Anything that drains you, you want to take a very hard look at it even when it has markers of like but it's good but it's great just check in with how you feel about yourself how check in with how you feel about Um, what you're doing. Check in with just your energy level, the level of peace that you have. You have all the signs here like this relationship is draining you sweetheart. It's not not only not giving you the things that you want but it's taking the life out of you. So I just I'm going to just kind of shine a light on that problem for you so you can see that for what it is. The other thing that's a sign of a relationship that is good that we're not seeing here we're seeing the opposite is that a good relationship causes you to become a still better version of yourself. You get up, you rise up a little bit because of the relationship and ideally your partner will too. Those, that's a sign that you two are good together is that you both take a step up, you both become better people. You know, whether that's um, for you um, continuing in your career and maybe moving up towards things that are satisfying, that are um, that use your talents and gifts <laughs> that contribute something to the world you're saying here you've fallen you've come down the ladder so far that you can't even support yourself there it is okay this is where i would just draw the line i would draw the line on this relationship if you can't support yourself your 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 dad's gone but your mom is um you know has been immature and emotionally unavailable chances are it's a big trigger for you going home is not a great option for you you can't move in with this guy it's time to draw the line and begin to take care of yourself and nourish yourself spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, psychologically and to start doing the good things that you need. And You could use a metaphor, you know, mercury poisoning that somehow you're eating something, you're eating uh, some fish (laughs) here where I live we have a bay and if you eat fish out of it too much you could get mercury poisoning and mercury poisoning will start draining the life out of you and affect you cognitively and you know to start putting your light out and it can kill you. So the first step is stop eating the mercury and that means just time to draw that hard boundary with this guy and trust me he's going to understand. He will understand and you're going to go through withdrawal after you've been neglected so much in your life. It's really, really hard to end a relationship. I know. So you prepare for it by setting yourself up with nice good friends to go to, places to go to, uh, someplace that there's a Saturday night get-together is ideal and a lot of 12-step fellowships have that. If the program that you choose doesn't have it, one thing is open AA meetings. There's, a, there's generally a lot more Alcoholics Anonymous meetings around so even if you're not an alcoholic there are two categories of AA meetings and one is open and that means anybody can come if they're interested. They can't necessarily share but they have a place to go and afterwards people are generally very friendly to you. I've been to many many of them. I'm not an alcoholic. Many 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 of them and I've, I've been so helped by being there. Um, or And then there's closed AA meetings and so you can't go to those but if you look in the schedule, AAs are very good usually about having Um, Saturday night meetings because that's a vulnerable, weekend nights are a vulnerable time for people. It's a time when many of us feel extra alone and are tempted to go back to the man or in their case, you know, go back to the bar. So having a really safe, lovely, supportive place to go can be life-changing and give you the strength and support that you need to make this change in your life, to cut off that little bit of contact and love and touch that you have and replace it with something sustainable and good. And as you heal, then the circle of people in your life who love you starts to grow and grow and grow and grow. There's so much to learn. Boy, when you're the kid of an alcoholic and you haven't yet um, had a, a, a full relationship or you've just had these kind of like breadcrumb relationships, there's so much to learn. And if you if you can be supported and loved and continually working on stuff, on yourself in these environments then you can learn those lessons nice and fast it doesn't have to you know it doesn't have to take forever that's one thing that some of us have been told is this is going to take a long time And it's like well maybe maybe you can start feeling better today and i always am recommending my daily practice for anybody who needs to start feeling better today it's a practice i use it every day twice a day i used it this morning and it just after 27 years, it's still like just helps clear the cobwebs when I wake up in the morning, helps me let go of the stress at the end of the day, helps clear my head so I can have a fresh, and new perspective, a new idea, a more peace inside. And you'd be very surprised what you can do in life when you have that. So finally, Nora, I wanted to talk about all this, the hard stuff that happened that's, that you had no control over. And this is, uh, The loss of your dad and your nephew and I'm just so sorry. It's strange sometimes how all the bad things cluster together but I tend to think because that's happened to me I've had a few periods in my life when a, a whole bunch of bad things happened at once and while it was so painful and disappointing and lonely going through those times I gotta say that the most growth I ever had was during those times. Sometimes it's the loss. That helps us confront the ways that we have been afraid to step forward into our lives and to start to become who we really are. That's what we're doing this for. That's what we're healing is not just to get the guy, not just to have the vacation or the Christmas but to become fully ourselves. And that is what's in store for you Nora. That's what you didn't get to do yet. That's why things just inherently feel unsatisfying. And the more you come into yourself, the more situations that are, you know, unfulfilling and look better on the outside than on the inside will quickly become apparent to you. And you'll have the courage to step back very early in the process and not spend years on them in the future. You can, you can date. And dating is a chance to get to know people and see if they're the one. So I, I want you to, I want you to. Just be so happy, Nora. I want you to have everything you want. What you want is so reasonable and good and fair to have that be your heart's desire. You deserve it. You deserve it and it will happen naturally for you if you can stop taking the poison of this breadcrumb relationship and and change that fundamental pattern of yours to accept emotional neglect. When you grew up with abuse and neglect when you were a kid, It can be really, really hard to form your ideal of what is a good relationship. What kind of person should you even be looking for? And in the absence of that, we can sometimes end up attaching our hopes and dreams onto people who are really not a fit at all and not appropriate. And it can be hard to tell. And that's why we share with each other. And that's why people write letters here. So I wanted to read a letter today from a woman I'll call Kira. And she says, thank you so much for your videos, Anna. I'm 42 years old and I believe I have CPTSD based on my childhood experience of emotional and physical abuse, being born into an immigrant family, and being a woman of color, mostly in white spaces. Consequently, I've had symptoms in adulthood such as pursuing unavailable men, playing small professionally, avoiding attachment, fear of intimacy, fear of authenticity, etc. It's mostly manifested as avoidant attachment, self-reliance and people-pleasing. All right just getting my pencil so I can circle things that I want to be sure to talk about when I come back through this letter the second time. But let's read through it the first time. All right Kira says, three years ago I started a meditation practice partly out of curiosity and partly out of desperation. Suddenly all my suppressed pain came pouring out of me. I felt grief, rage, sadness and also new hope. And since then I've been able to see a lot of my past behaviors and defenses more clearly. I've sought support on many levels and in many ways and it's been incredibly helpful. I believe that I'm making progress in leaps and bounds and it feels slow too. I've never been in a significant relationship as of yet. In my teens and college I had sexual encounters and situations but never dated anyone. In my 20s and 30s I had a bunch of one night stands and three situationships, I like that word. But again nothing that lasted more than two to six months and never anyone I called a boyfriend or partner. In my early 30s after a particularly devastating and humiliating breakup I decided I would not get romantically involved again until my insides felt right. Since then I've worked really hard to abstain from romantic and sexual possibilities because I saw that the person was not a good fit. Most recently though a few years ago I got romantically involved with someone who was not a good fit realistically. He was a decade younger than me, we were on different life paths, he was moving out of town but he was more emotionally available than anyone else I had been with. I felt like I had to see what would happen almost like a learning exercise and it was both a really deepening and really painful experience, especially when he left. Today I'm again faced with romantic and sexual interest in a couple of people who seem more emotionally stable and capable of the love and partnership I want. Is it just a vibe? Is this magical thinking? I don't have friendships with them and I don't even know if they're single. One is my therapist and lives two hours away, the other also lives two hours away in a different town, I've seen them each in person only a handful of times and I felt a romantic interest. But it is so rare to encounter men that I'm attracted to that might be in the realm of good partnerdom. And because I've been celibate for almost four years, I want to make space for my desire and see what happens. Again, like a learning exercise. Though my brain can see ways in which these are likely dead ends, I have a deep urge or compulsion to pursue them both. I want to be direct about my attraction and curiosity about dating. I'm not sure what to do. To be clear with my therapist, if the attraction were reciprocated, I'd expect to end the therapeutic relationship. My brain sees this is likely more of the same old, same old and wants me to shut up, sit tight and get my shit together. But the desire and curiosity inside of me wants to express myself and see what happens. How do I know when to direct time and energy at someone and when to abstain? I'm also concerned I might be a sex and love anorectic, which makes me want to be more open. Yikes, says Kira. Typing that out I see how unreasonable that is. So she asks, how do I balance patience, self-protection, having higher standards, self-control along with unhealthy restriction? With living my life with the permission to explore, self-express, have a sex life, make mistakes even if the prospects do not appear ideal. Also, what do I do with my eroticized feelings of longing and possible fantasy making when they arise? Thank you, Kira. All right, thank you so much for writing in. I have such a, such a tender spot in my heart for you and what you're going through. What I see and this is usually pretty evident in the letters, But there's nothing like hearing a little summary of what happened to you when you were a kid and hearing what you're struggling with in relationships now to make it clear what a strong role these, these traumatic experiences play in shaping what's hard for us. And I feel for you and yet here we are. Whatever happened to us, we can find a way to heal and to change and to craft our lives into something that gives us happiness. I hear you are in a tough place this this thing where you crave that relationship and you haven't had a serious relationship. You describe yourself as having an avoidant attachment and self-reliant personality and that you people please and that is a tough combination. You had a childhood experience of emotional and physical abuse that is so much to overcome and I'm so sorry that happened to you And. Uh, what you're talking about here are very common symptoms that follow for somebody like that and you were born into an immigrant family and you're a woman of color and i can sure see how those two things with the abuse made it so hard to to feel like you belong to feel accepted to feel like people get you or like sometimes like you even get what's going on with them and that part i relate to and i know how hard that is so then you say three years ago you started a meditation practice and you were curious you're desperate, good reasons, good reasons to develop a practice and to get into healing. That's why I started to and suddenly all this suppressed pain came pouring out and you felt grief, rage and sadness and new hope and I think that is how it works sometimes. So good, kind of, good. Since then I've been able to see a lot of my past behaviors and defenses more clearly. That's incredible, that's very powerful, that's very noble and holy that you can do that. You've sought support on many levels and and it's been helpful and you say i believe i'm making progress in leaps and bounds and it feels slow okay so good first i just want to pat you on the back and hug you and say good job good job doing things to support yourself that have allowed you to progress and to face what's in there including the stuff that you don't feel great about yourself like that's phd level self-care that's very good all right So never had a significant relationship yet. Um, That's so hard, I hear you. In your teens and college you had encounters and situations but never really dated. In your 20s and 30s you had some one night stands and situationships but nothing that lasted more than two to six months. And never anyone you could call a partner. That's really significant, that's a big deal. So obviously big stuff going on there, somehow in the interaction of your energy and where your, your outlook, your, the way you come toward people and who you're picking. I mean, th- that would be true for anybody, but I can just sort of see that weird sort of discordant vibration going there that kept undermining you. In your early 30s, after a particularly devastating and humiliating breakup, you decided you wouldn't get romantically involved again until things felt right. Okay. But here it is 10 years later so here you are, okay good. Since then you've worked really hard to abstain from romantic sexual possibilities because you saw that I guess in most cases the person wasn't a good fit and then recently you did get involved with somebody who also wasn't a good fit realistically because they were so much younger because they were on a different life path and they were moving out of town. Can I just say For somebody who's avoidant, that's like a (laughs) dreamboat, okay? There's like this difference that makes it so it can't really work out. Different life paths, younger, moving out of town, like very soon, imminently, it can't work out. So I think for an avoidant person in a weird way, that is a huge opportunity to like test out, to take your heart for a test drive because you can, because the thing that is hard for you to deal with is just isn't happening. So you say, I felt like I had to see what would happen, almost like a learning exercise. It was both a really deepening and painful experience, especially when he left. Okay, I will validate for you that you can learn from that, but I'm gonna to suggest to you that you back off of this idea of relationships as experiments, just because you have been abused and neglected, you have been through so much, you have attachment issues, And I'm going to suggest that we direct you more towards a a path of really gentle handling. So relationships are treated as relationships with another person with potential to become the partner that what I'm hearing is that you'd really like to have somebody who gets you, who loves you, who cares about you, who you can have great sex with, right? And not have to have another humiliating and painful experience. Or a shallow experience. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna say it, and you're not the first person with CPTSD. In fact, like almost everybody with CPTSD, I hear you kind of selling yourself short here. Um, but one thing you said in the first paragraph is that you go for unavailable men. You play small professionally, which I think is a very similar thing: avoidant attachment, self-reliant, people pleasing. So I, you didn't say this, but I'm just like imagining this person who stays in the smallest room in the house, who takes up as little space as possible, who tries to have no footprint, walks on eggshells, maybe hides needs, hides what you really need and what you really have to say. That's kind of like the, the vibe I get here from, from your letter so far. That woman is very good at uh, being frugal, being no trouble at all for other people, but not so good at getting loved. So just like everything I tell you now is gonna be about shifting the energy and letting yourself come forward front and center so that you can take up space and express yourself and accept about yourself that yes, you have some rough edges associated with what you went through and you're working on them and you totally, totally deserve to be loved, okay? It's not easy when you have CPTSD to just like match up with somebody and it goes really well. And I heard you say a couple of times in this letter, I thought I would just kind of like throw caution to the wind and then see what happens. And kind of when you do that, when you, when you take all the attachment wounds, right? And then you just sort of like leap in and go, well, let's see what happens. Well, pretty much the same thing happens again and again. And I would just point out as kindly as possible, whatever has happened for you, that's what's likely to happen again until you kind of change your energy about it and change your approach. And change that core belief you have about yourself that you need to play small romantically because playing small is exactly what i what i hear here so yeah the guy who was younger different path moving out of town small that's just like mm -mm, mm -mm. that's not like the the great relaxing abundant safe nurturing awesome comforting moves your life to a new level relationship right and every day that you spend emotionally wrapped up with somebody who's not that You're not available to somebody who is. And so I don't know what town you live in that everybody's two hours away so let's read this part. Okay so you got interested in a couple of people recently and they seem more emotionally stable and capable of love and partnership and you're wondering is it just a vibe, is it magical thinking? Could be, it could be. I don't know because you don't even know them very well right? So if you've been avoidant, if you've been playing small, if you're a people pleaser, if you try to be self-reliant and everything, I would just say respectfully your judgment might have some little like holes poked in it where you can fit yourself to people who don't really have these things you seek. But you know what's beautiful here? You've named what you think. Emotionally stable and capable of love and partnership. Okay good, you named it. Name it, claim it. That is what you want, that is what you deserve. And now your job is growing into the person who chooses those people and dates those people. Now here's the challenge. We can notice people who are, you know, stable and cool. But then there's this big getting to know you process to find out, are they actually available? Do they feel that way about you? And that whole process weeds out many, many people. So, you know, meeting somebody great involves putting yourself out there and putting yourself out there is not always easy for avoidant people and or for people with cptsd in general but i'm just going to say good job good job feeling the feelings good job dreaming about it desiring it you know asking the question writing here this is all like very good progress okay so you don't even know if they're single okay so that's a huge question mark right but good you just notice the vibe in them and then you notice it's attractive all right one of them is your therapist and lives two hours away so I don't want to burst your bubble but that is not a person you even could date even if you both wanted to. So they, they can't do that. That's like illegal and, and unethical. They can't do that and it's, it's, it's totally normal and common for people to develop feelings for their therapists and occasionally it happens in the other direction too. And in very tiny rare cases it goes out of hand and people start having relationships but that's considered a disaster. We had a, a letter from somebody who that happened to in in her life and just a couple weeks ago it's a terrible breach of boundaries so i'm just i'm just telling you yeah that one is wishful thinking i don't think you're thinking magically because i can tell you didn't know that you knew that you would have to end the therapeutic therapeutic relationship but um you know in most locations Therapists are not even allowed to have relationships. I think sometimes there's like a two-year cooling off period or something and even then it's kind of frowned on because when we go to therapy, we are so very vulnerable and there's so much opportunity for things to go not very well in those relationships. So I'm just going to tell you flat out, just cross that one off your list, honor that you felt that for somebody. If you can't stop feeling that way, it might not be the best therapist for you. Because if that kind of um, attraction is there it's going to really complicate your ability to be open and real and go where that therapy is trying to go okay and two hours away you know two hours away that's a really hard thing i think it's so interesting that they're both two hours away because that's your that's your just little buffer zone okay it's not it's not like impossible that you can date somebody two hours away but interesting that you chose to i don't know maybe you live in a very tiny town where there are almost no single men who are even possible for you but (laughs) so this other guy two hours away you've only seen him a handful of times so cool you feel attraction for him right now I guess the next order of business is to get a little information if he is not single it's like a total no-go zone if he's in a relationship or dating somebody how can you find that out artfully I will leave that to you But you would need to know that. Uh, It would be really rough for all concerned if you were to, um, you know, flirt with him, try to get something going with him without knowing that. And it's, you know, this happens sometimes. People flirt, they make kind comments, they sort of test the waters. That's one way to find out, but very, very lightly. And the minute you find out that he's not single, you know, just like cut it off. So, I will say that the best way to meet somebody who's got who's good partner material is to get to know them and so when you have attraction before you know somebody i'm just going to call that physical attraction it's a physical attraction and you might have a very good intuition about that i mean people who have it together have certain things you can see about them sometimes kind of right <laughs> so cool you you know i wouldn't totally invalidate it but there is no substitute even for people who don't have cptsd for getting to know somebody slowly and that means talking to them maybe having a coffee and if you have taken my dating course and i hope you will it's it's, you know it's all about this kind of thing i really recommend that you put yourself on a super slow cycle of getting to know you with people and i'll get to that when we talk about your, your feeling of being a little bit impatient about you know wanting a sex life again okay So then you said because i've been celibate for almost four years i want to make space for my desire and see what happens i had talked about this language before you can make space for your desire but i think what you're saying is i just can't i I don't know i could be wrong all right but what i'm hearing is this whole thing where i get to know people and i find out the facts about them and i see if they're really good partner material that's all really hard it's not something i'm very good at so what i really want to do is just see can i just have sex with them and see what happens But again, that is the part that's magical thinking that just having sex with somebody would be the way to get to know them. For a person with CPTSD, that's a way to go into a fog. It's it's a way to get very dysregulated and to have all your old stuff come up and become difficult to date and um, to have a lot of difficulty discerning and seeing red flags. So that's why I say like no judgment like that's how practically everybody else gets to date out there. But I suggest you consider a different approach that is very front loaded with getting to know somebody, beginning with really clear criteria of what would be a good person for you. And I have a feeling that you're just like everybody else who's been through attachment wounds that that's a little bit fuzzy for you. So to really think about what you want and not play small when you name that stuff. Don't say, well, I want somebody who at least, you know, wears shoes or, or, or at least is not in jail. You know, pick something like aim high, aim high for what you really want, what you really want. All right. And that needs to include based on what you've defined here. That they're good partner material and then name like 20 ways that you know that they're good partner material name a bunch of ways like name it don't just say that vaguely and try to rely on an intuition about it or a shirt that they wear or something like name those things and get to know them diligently you don't have to make a big show about it it's called dating it's called dating and i get that that that's not really been something you have experience with and join the crowd like culturally that's something that not everybody has done before but you can start now it's not too late and there really are men who would like to do that who want to go slow who want to get to know you who want to enjoy a meal or a you know a walk or a cup of coffee and get to know you a little bit and for all of us when we get together with somebody for a brief get together it's really good practice and especially it's really good practice If you have people to talk to, friends to say, who say, how'd your date go? And you go, it was pretty good. He got there five minutes late. I was worried that that meant he didn't like me, but then he came and he seemed pretty enthusiastic. And, you know, he bought the coffee and I was nervous. I thought maybe I should buy it and I didn't know what to do, but he bought it and that worked out okay. And then we talked a lot and I feel like I talked too much about this. And you get your friend's input and help you interpret reality because that's what friends do for each other. They help us as people who have been traumatized and have trouble. With perception sometimes we sometimes read in the worst to situations sometimes we you know we we put put on rose colored glasses and we think things are better than they are so for you i'm going to suggest that on your list they're available they're not entangled with anybody else they're available they would like to have a relationship if marriage is what you want then they need to want marriage too that's that's what that is if you have preferences about whether they have kids or not Um, you know that can go on there. You can even write down things about like physical characteristics that you like and things about the type of work they do and the way they like to spend their free time. Do they like to camp or do they like to go to bars or you know what do you like to do and what kind of partner would be perfect for you (laughs) and you write it down and you write it down bravely because believe me when you write down everything you want, there are some things you're not going to get. So don't even worry. Don't worry that you're going to look foolish. You're not going to look foolish to anyone because you're doing this for you. You're getting clear about what you really want. And when you have that clarity and you're like vibrating with that clarity, you go on a date and somebody's really falling short in some big thing. It's like, well, they're great in like 10 ways. And you know, they're still living with their ex-wife, but they say they're going to get a divorce. Ah, you know, your heart will begin to go, mm-mm, mm-mm. And that's what clarity is, okay. So then you say, you realize these are probably dead ends, but you have this deep urge to pursue them both. Um, I don't want to demean that, but that might just be like physical desire. And, and, you know, yeah, that's real. And I'm going to go against the culture here and say, you do not have to follow up on that if you don't want to. I, I just think in this case, after everything you've been through, anything that's going to like trigger more trauma coming up, it's going to just kind of get in your way. The fastest route. To true love and great sex would be to forego all these half-assed versions of it that you don't want, right? Let it go and be busy dating. Go online if you need to, you know, go join things, go do the things that people do when they want to date. It works, all right? It works. In the meantime we've been talking about the guys and how to fit with them but of course the most central thing about how to bring this about in your life Is to work on the stuff in you that's making you play small and avoid and when you said you think you might be a sex and love anorectic I think that could be true and the great thing about that is there's a 12-step program for it and if anybody watching doesn't know what that is it's kind of what, what it sounds like somebody who's a food anorectic you know they avoid eating somebody who's a sex and love anorectic avoids those things That doesn't mean that you don't want it but there's something about it that kind of shuts down your ability to move forward or your your knowledge and clarity about how to move forward to have that in your life and when you go long enough without that relationship I I think you get rusty and um, it can be very easy for denial to come in um, looking outward at things not seeing one's own part and so that's what I think is the brilliant thing about 12-step fellowships is that it's an opportunity to just in the context of people who like you and care about you and support you to gradually in your own time see what am i doing that's part of this and get some help if you think about getting a sponsor look for the woman who is got the best recovery in the room and ask her try to get the strongest sponsor you can don't play small with sponsors by getting somebody who you think you know like I used to sponsor right and and I used to sponsor some people who played small and they would be like well I was thinking of asking you to sponsor me but I know you're really busy and and or they and then they wouldn't call me and I'd say look I'm not busy I raised my hand I said I would sponsor I said yes you can trust me if I say yes I mean yes which is a sign of recovery and that's not to say there aren't sponsors who grow resentful and fade out on you it happens sometimes when that happens you move on you go get the best sponsor you can. And, um, and and you get some help working through facing reality, facing the real truth about your condition. And I put it that way because when I, was, when I was in the worst place in my life, that was the basic prayer I had, please show me the reality of my condition. And some things I learned about that were about myself and the way I have relationships. I made a lot of mistakes and it was hard for me to face, it was hard for me to take responsibility, so I'm so glad I got help to do that in a measured way in an honest and humble way and humility means like to be honest about what I did wrong, but not to just get all grandiose and be like, oh, I'm so horrible. Not that either, but just like realistically, okay, I see what the problem with me, I I think I understand what happened. And you know, when you get to that level of healing and you're doing that, you you are getting close to the top of the mountain. It's very powerful to be there. And I would just say most people never get there. I've been, I've sat in thousands of 12 step meetings and a lot of people come and listen and some people sort of get going in the steps but it's the ones who just like really like all out try to understand what have I been doing to hurt the people around me and to hurt my chances of living the life I want to live and answers will come and sometimes you'll cry and sometimes people will be unkind but mostly people are going to be loving to you and they're going to be really supportive of what you're trying to do and they're going to help you what you thought sex might do is make a space make a space for your desire for your relationship and help you do some healing in that space so that when the time comes that you do get connected to somebody you have so much more in the way of inner resources. Rather than being identified with that girl who was left out and ostracized and treated as different and abused and neglected, rather than that you have you, you have you Kira, you have the the good in you and all you have to give. And I'll tell you what men are looking for, they're, they're you know good men who want a relationship, they're looking for someone who has goodness to bring to the mix, who when you two hang out together it feels good and both of you sort of come up to a higher level. So your job now is to become somebody who's capable of that and when you're doing that you will be surprised, there's so many elements of this that you don't have to, you don't have to make it happen, it's going to make you radiant, it's going to make you send off positive signals that healthy men are going to notice and it's so it starts in here and it starts with you being clear about what you want and then setting boundaries so that you're not getting all entangled and drained with what you don't want. So that's my answer is that sometimes having higher standards and and more control over how everything turns out for you, it does involve being reserved reserving the best in you but getting very, very busy in recovery. So I'm really proud of you that you got started. Sometimes it takes a little time. I do think the 12-step thing is good and the that when you talk about eroticized feelings of longing, that's something I said in a video here that I never heard anybody else say and I said it and so many people who watch my videos were like, yes, eroticized feelings of longing. That's part of limerence. So, a little bit of longing can be healthy for a relationship but if all your romantic and sexual energy is going into the longing you just got taken off the planet sexually you know nothing's going to cut it for you from that place so just the water's fine Kira come on in come on in find some recovery for this and you get to if you choose if you, if you work with a sponsor, your sponsor will have different criteria. Some people say, wait a year. Some people are like, no, just be working the steps. You know, you'll, you'll find out, you'll find your path. You can see why some people say, wait a year before you go on any dates. I'll tell you a secret right now. Waiting a year doesn't change anything if you're not like working rigorously to change the insides, right? You can't just like avoid dating, you know, indulge in the isolation. I've seen people, they're like, I'm out of this. And then one date and they're just, right? I was never somebody to delay. (laughs) When When I wanted to date, I dated and I got my results, which were always terrible, especially when I didn't want to see my part in things. So I got through that one day when I really just went all in. You can learn about that in my dating course if you haven't taken that yet. Um, If you think you might be a candidate for my dating course, I have a quiz and it's on the free tools page and my free tools page and all the quizzes in it and my free course, the daily practice, which, by the way, is so calming and so helpful for getting through things that are intense and every day, really. Right. For for us. that's down below in the description section. It's gonna be right up at the top or near the top. Um, Go to my free tools page. So I hope that helps you. It's a mystery to a lot of people why their love life seems to be full of problem people. You know, self-centered people, angry people, dishonest people, people who can't really love them back. And when this happens over and over, it might seem like there's an invisible force in the air that drives them to you. And you hear this in letters from people who write to me like all the time, where they see it like a magnetic power that they have no control over. And they'll say, I attract to these people who are bad for me. So how do these bad people find you? What signal are they getting that you, of all people, would be good for them to attach to. My letter today is from a woman I'll call Gwen, and she writes, Hi Anna. I've noticed that I seem to attract men who are already married or in relationships, and at least twice my age. It is hard for me to resist engaging back, as most times when they approach me it's usually casual, until hints of more sexual romantic undertones are expressed on their part. I've got my fairy pencil. I'm going to circle stuff to come back to like I always do. And I'm just going to read through the letter so we can hear what's going on. Okay. One man, she says, I cut off about two years ago. He was married. His kids were older than me as I had just turned 18 at the time of him talking to me. I was attracted to him, but mostly engaged back with him because of the false care and comfort he provided me. Now I'm 21 and I find myself in a similar situation. This man is twice my age and in a long-term relationship and also who I'd consider to be a family friend. I'm in a state of limerence towards him. In person, I try my best to keep a respectful distance until he comes toward me, and I only talk to him when he reaches out first on text. We will end up having a conversation through text for multiple hours about anything and everything. I really enjoy talking to him, and like the last man, he showed a lot of care toward me. Although this man seems genuine, which I love. I've noticed that he always ends up making some joke or comment expressing his attraction toward me, but then he will claim that we're just friends. I know I don't want a serious relationship with this man, as I would never actively pursue him knowing he's in a committed relationship. With this being so, I cannot deny that I like and have a strong attraction toward him that I believe to be mutual. The only potential cause I can think of this being a recurring pattern in my life would be that I grew up without having a father or knowing anything about him. But my entire childhood, I was told by my mother that when I became an adult, I would be given the information about him to then reach out and meet him. This wasn't the case since I've not been able to meet him nor have any interest in the matter anymore. But my entire childhood, I would constantly fantasize about meeting him and finally having a dad. Could this be where my attraction toward older, unavailable men comes from? Also, do you think I'm doing something that is attracting these types of men, maybe just by the energy I'm emitting, or that it's simply coincidence? And then she says, thank you, Gwen. All right, Gwen, you're going to get tough love fairy today. I think you could hear it in my voice leading up to this. Girl, you have to stop. You have to stop. You asked for my advice. You must stop. Uh, I think that you have a common CPTSD thing where all the locus of control and decision you've exported to this other person, it's like, well, they're writing me, so I'm doing it. You're doing something very wrong here. And, you know, everybody in the chorus out here in the peanut gallery is going to go, he's the one We're, he's not writing to me. He doesn't care what we think. He's going to do what he, he's had. He's got a lot more years of maturity under his belt to decide for himself how he's handling this. But we as people healing from trauma do not participate in lies and things that are morally hurtful to other people. We don't. So that's, um, that, I'm just telling you right now, that's where this is going. So let's go through what you said. Um, yes, I think it's about your dad. That's, that's pretty easy to see. You never had one. You always fantasize you'd meet him. So we all have that. We imprint on parents and, or the lack thereof and we act on it. And that's all stuff that you get to heal now. That's, it's not easy. It's a long road. It's going to show up like this. But in the meantime, you don't get to hurt other people and you absolutely have the power to stop doing that. So even though you would be sad, even though you have limerence for this person, it is wrong for you to have chats with him for hours on end. All right, people who are just friends don't do that. You are not like you're imagining it's like i'm only responding to his text and we're just chatting it's not actually sex so it's not harmful that's wrong this is called an emotional affair it's definitely corrosive to his relationship that he's in in it almost certainly involves lying to that other person presumably a woman It involves lying to her, making a fool out of her where she trusts him. She's got her life invested in him and he's carrying on like this. And you're the person who is enabling it. This is the crap fit thing of a kid who's been neglected where you go, he's genuine and he cares about me. He's a liar and he's using you. I'm so hard about this, but I just, you know, you asked me and I have a very strong reaction to this one. I almost didn't want to answer it because it like, made me feel so angry and I don't blame you because you're young and you were, you were neglected and you were never cared for properly. I think it's wrong that your mom's like, I'm not going to tell you about your dad. You'll figure it out later. There's years ahead for you to figure that out. We'll see what happens about that. But you're not alone. Many of us had to grow up without a dad and that's terrible. And it really does affect people. It affects men a certain way. It affects women a certain way. It has an impact. And if dads were present but not present or present but abusive you know there's all kinds of ways that that can affect people dads are so important to our development so you didn't get to have that so it's really natural That your spirit is trying to accomplish that development and the only thing that it knows to go after it's like are you my daddy are you my daddy i i say that not demeaningly but we often joke about the book are you my mom are you my are you my mother that the um, the book from when i was a kid where a little bird kate doesn't know how to find its mother and it's asking all the different animals like we do that because we don't know and your spirit has a language of its own and a process of its own but your head has a brain and it has moral reasoning and it's so important that you not harm even if we didn't care about him or his partner it will harm you you are taking your integrity and you're just like oh screw it you know snap integrity i'll just i just want what i want i'm not trying to put you down but i'm trying to tell you from the outside what it's clear what this is all right so he's twice as old as you he knows darn well that a young woman gets hurt in this type of thing and that is not a good person it's not a good person he's getting his emotional needs met to feel adored and worshiped and this thing where he says Oh, I'm so attracted to you sexually. No, actually, we're just friends. That's called bookmarking. It has a word and it's where you plant the idea and then you duck out with plausible deniability that you didn't mean it, but you plant it in the mind of another person so that you can see if you can get some limerence going. That is what bookmarking is for. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it just goes on, you know, dead soil in people and they put, throw a bookmark out there and people are like, who wants an unavailable man? Not me. (laughs) <laughs> and it doesn't work. And then sometimes they just get that energy hit back. It's like, Whoa, did you just bookmark me? Oh, well, of course, you know, that's, that's the dynamic. That's the dynamic. And I say this as somebody who has been all three characters in this drama in the past. And every single role is a miserable role that leads to loss and emptiness. So I'm trying to, you know, I'm hoping you can take my warning on this. Stop it now. You can stop it now. So, you actually don't owe him an explanation, but if you do anything, do a very short text and say, Sorry, I'm thinking about this. I realize this relationship is unhealthy for me and I need to stop um, having any communication with you. I wish you the best. Block. A lot of people know that I don't advocate blocking for every boundary, but this is a boundary that needs a block. He's not a trustworthy person. He's not somebody who respects the well being of others. He needs to be removed. You're too young for this. If an adult were doing this, I would tell them another reason why they have to do the exact same thing. And they're not too young for it, but they're human. They're dear hearted people who hope for love and are hoping to recover from not getting enough love as kids. And so when you let people like this into your life, it'll just start to like lay down the railroad tracks that go completely in the wrong direction. And this is how so many of us have ended up alone for years of our life is taking our emotional energy and investing it in this great big like thing that goes off a cliff and everybody knows it's going off a cliff anybody can see it but because of the way we were raised we can use our imagination to think no somehow that train will detour and come back and it's going to turn into the destination that i really want it's not that's not what's going to happen pain and loss are what wait for you at the edge of this at the end of this journey you can cut it off now and you can come out with the you know, the integrity and the dignity of just saying, I made a decision about how to handle this based on what was best for me. And the rest of your life, that will be the story. You made a decision that was best for you. You realized it wasn't healthy and you stopped it. And, you know, whether he, who cares what he thinks, but, you know, on some level, it is really best for him and certainly best for his partner that this stop right now. When people are in a committed relationship, Emotional affairs are terrible, even if they only stay emotional affairs, although this does not sound like it's, it, it would stay that way, With, between your limerence and his agenda. And you're like, I just, you know, is it a coincidence that, that I just attract these people? No, you're 21, you're a young woman, they're older, you're doting on them. There are certain people uh who you know they're gonna just go wherever they can get that energy think of them like vampires where they will just they smell blood they'll go there (laughs) they want to suck the life out of you it makes them feel more alive and they will do it even though they know it has a consequence for you now for all we know you know he has a sex addiction or something where he can't really fully be conscious of how much he's hurting other people here so we'll give him a pass but mostly we'll give him a pass just because he didn't ask and we don't care we don't care about this i care about you 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 and your precious future your potential your tender heart your capacity to be loved how about if the first time that you actually get Get, get into a relationship that's reciprocal it proceeds very slowly there's nobody using anybody nobody has to lie about it it doesn't have to be kept secret against the p- person who would be hurt and all the people who would really look down on the man you know because he's a liar and a cheater you know there's a lot at stake there you know why he would want to keep that secret so no secrecy. That's a sign that you, that it's not good. Um, it proceeds slowly. There's a true friendship there, and then when you become intimate and close and in love with that person. <sighs> imagine it's the sort of relationship that at last is real love and it heals you. So being young doesn't mean that you can just pick that one and you're going to go straight to it, you know, and skip all this stuff. A lot of these other relationships are lessons, you know, to start learning. Whoa, not this. And that's what I'm telling you. When these guys who are married or in serious relationships and who are pretending to be your friend and having three-hour chats with you, they're not your friend. And they're not showing care for you. And they're not genuine. So they're charming is what it is. And that's the thing. Selfish people um, can be very successful in this type of relationship if they are charming. Because girls like us who got, you know, jerked around as kids, didn't get loved properly. You know, I got taken away from my dad when I was quite young. But I did know him and then he died when i was 15. oh god and it affected me it affected me very much and it affected it drove my relationship decisions and then my mom not you know not really wanting me drove my relationship decisions we can't help but be affected but we have to override sometimes the path that trauma would just sort of like push us towards you don't have to go towards that path the thing about trauma And also just having a body and being sexual and being a young person. And I always say this, like as a young woman, you have one of the most potent and extraordinary forces within you that the universe has ever made. You create life. You're amazing. Men will always fall for you. Don't worry about that. That will always be there for you. It's for you to be discerning about what kind of relationship do you want to be in. And nobody, nobody can come back and be your dad that ship has sailed and this is the sad thing but we can go ahead and cry and grieve it right now we can never get back what was lost when we were kids if we didn't get parented when we were five or three or 16 when we needed it we're not going to be that age again we're going to now we're going to live our lives in a new way so that we grow up and mature and get our emotional needs met But one of the surest ways to make sure that your emotional needs will not be met is to become attached emotionally, sexually with people who are unavailable, which is what these guys are. They're unavailable. They're vampires who don't have anything to give you. And for a certain amount of time, you'd probably be able to sort of imagine up that you're getting this amazing thing. It's a great experience. It's good for you. That's what I'm just projecting because that's that's what people do in Lumerant relationships. But actually it's just draining you of your joy, your beauty, your potential, your time. And um, so I guess, <laughs> I guess I couldn't be clearer how I feel about this. I just really encourage you to stop it. St- stop it without fanfare, stop it without a big conversation. And um, you might wanna take my dating course how that course starts is you write down exactly what you want for real. The time to do it is when you're single, single and heartbroken, you're motivated, but single. So you're not tempted to write down your vision of what would really be your dream and the relationship and the life you want. You write that down, not fitting it to who you happen to be with, you know, but like really blue sky thinking like, what would I really want? And don't worry that, We don't always get exactly what we want. That's, that's a given. But when you write down knowing what you really want, it helps you be a lot more aware as you move forward when you meet somebody and it's like, this isn't it. So one thing I would suggest you put is, my ideal relationship cannot be attached to another person romantically. Not a wife, not a girlfriend, not a committed relationship, not a guy. Cannot be with them. Because what I believe you're saying is you would like a monogamous relationship. I'm all for that. People, gosh, somebody, yet again, they, they go, you seem like you're biased against poly people and non-monogamy is okay. And I just said, yeah, no, I overtly, I'm not like subtly biased. I'm very biased. I teach people here with attachment wounds how to stay away from people who hold that ideal. Everybody gets to do what they want. But if you have attachment wounds and what you long for is love, just like, oh yeah, the people who, are, who have a rationale for why they get to sleep with other people, like skip those ones over. There's plenty who would like to be with you who would like to be with you for real, fully, no other people. Monogamy. It's nice. It's it's very healing for trauma when you have an attachment wound. If you're with a good person. And that's going to take time. You're very young. So it's going to take time. You probably have dating relationships before you find that person. But you get to have boundaries and you get to have clarity about what you want. Now, if you were to date on this method that I teach of structured dating, you think of dating now as dating is how you figure out if someone is the one that you want to marry. If you know your criteria like I, I must have this in a, in a spouse and I can they cannot be this way you name what those are. I had like 200 things. They weren't all like must have can cannot be. some of them would be were nice to have you know and some of them were very desirable but certain non-negotiables were they cannot be an addict or alcoholic. I'd already done that disastrously before they had to be suitable stepdads for my kids they had to um completely accept my life as um, i do the daily practice and not have any weirdness about that those were some of my non-negotiables right and what i had only ever dated people who could not deliver on those three things and and who wanted to get married as just like i did and who considered me a potential person to marry and who no involvement with other women and so i got all that as soon as i like named it and wrote it down that's who showed up in my life and i think that um, a lot of people with trauma have trouble being attracted to people who are available and appropriate for them that's how cptsd can really do a number on you and send it right into the next generation So it's very, very important that you take time to heal. And even if you have to, if you have to tie yourself to the mast of a ship, do not get involved with married men. Do not get involved with people who are lying to be in a relationship with you. If they really love you, they will get divorced and spend a year or two overcoming the pain of that before they even think about dating anybody else. Okay, that's how it works. That's how a good life unfolds. So anybody watching, if you feel like your past trauma has affected your relationship life, I have a quiz and it has a series of questions. It lists common symptoms that show up when people have been traumatized as kids. These are the symptoms that show up in your dating and relationship life. So you might want to find out like how many of those do you have yes on? You can download that. It's down below. Um, there's a link to my free tools page on my website. My website's crappychildhoodfairy.com. You can go straight there or follow the link. And I have a series of quizzes there about how, how your past may have affected different parts of your life. You can take those quizzes. I also have the free course, the daily practice down there, which can really help with all the feelings that come up every day, but especially when you're setting a boundary and you're no longer having contact with somebody who's destructive for you. Everybody wants their lives to turn out happy. We want security. We want fulfillment. We want to stop being so alone. Most of all, of course, we want love. Everybody needs love. But when you were abused or emotionally neglected as a kid, you might find that one relationship after another, after another, just keeps coming up empty. It's no good. It's not real. They're not into you. It's not what you thought. You get hurt. You even get humiliated. You get flat out rejected. And it happens enough times that it's almost impossible to face. And at that point, you kind of know that something is driving partners away from you. But the need for love is so great that you just push ahead and hope once again, this time it'll be different. And it's that urgent need for love that becomes the actual obstacle for healing. But what is healing? What are people even talking about? You do the same things they do and they, they heal and, and you just keep making the same mistakes. Here's the thing about serious childhood trauma. If you were consistently treated as worthless, as an object, you weren't seen or heard, nobody got you, the solutions devised by people who see your symptoms but who don't have what you have, their solutions are just not that likely to help. What's needed is a journey into what I call the deep room. The deep room inside where you can see the real issue at last and open up to changing for real. And I'll say more about that after I read the letter I received this week from a woman that I'll call Vivian. It's a long letter. I'm including virtually all of it because the first half, it's more than I usually include about somebody's past, but in this case, what happened to her when she was a kid is telling and it's mysterious, especially in light of her strengths right now and the way she's currently struggling in a relationship. So, here's a letter from Vivian. Dear Anna, until right now, I had myself convinced that i was doing a lot better with limerence and my related issues which i have found tremendous help with by watching your videos great i broke up with a boyfriend recently who was not right for me i was waiting for the inevitable abandonment melange I- imagine my shock and joy when it didn't come abandonment melange for people who are new on this channel it's a it's a very intense set of emotions that happen to to some of us who, were, who went through actual abandonment when we were kids, the grief, rage, panic, feels like you got kicked out of the whole world and the human race, and it's so terrible that sometimes we'll go to any lengths to avoid it, like stick around with somebody that's not right for us. So, so Vivian's saying here she thought she was going to get abandonment melange as she has in the past, but she didn't. And she credits learning about CPTSD and abandonment melange and attachment disorders, dissociation and limerence from the Crappy Childhood Fairy Channel, and that's given her a context, she says, for what I've always experienced with breakups. So when I decided he was a very bad choice for me, um, a first for me to decide that, and when I ended it, I was bracing for the inevitable feelings of total collapse and waiting for my entire personhood to shatter, only this time it didn't happen. Okay. I've got my fairy pencil. I'm going to circle things that I want to come back to on a second reading, but let's just go through Vivian's letter here, see what's going on. Okay. <clears throat> So it didn't happen. Can you imagine that? I felt free and happy and self possessed. I felt strong. Yeah, that's what it feels like when you leave a bad relationship and you don't have <laughs> abandonment wounds. So, what brings me now to the place where I sadly feel I should write to ask for help is because I'm experiencing limerence for someone and I don't know why I can't shake it. I feel stupid. Okay, I understand. I'm 49 and a successful artist. I say that because work is the only thing I've ever been good at. I come from a broken home, broken by my extremely malignant narcissistic mom, who spent my childhood putting herself first and making sure I knew she despised me. My mom is a tiny lady with black eyes and black hair. She hates how she looks and told me she married my father so she could have a tall child with a perfect nose and blue eyes. I'm tall with a good nose and blue eyes. However, this made her seethe with jealousy over the attention and compliments I got. Also, because I am a separate person, any attempt to be a real person with my own wishes, opinions, desires, dreams, or preferences was met with anger, insults, brutal punishment, and worst of all, emotional starvation. I was conceived against my father's wishes by my mom who tried to make him be more responsible when this didn't work she kicked him out divorced him and then remarried another tall blue-eyed man with a perfect nose (laughs) sorry it's not really funny but it's just you know the perfect nose thing this is the first time we've had a perfect nose be a part of a story okay only unlike my father this next man was psychologically unhinged brutal and violent in a way you could never see coming he began hitting me when I was four I told my mom he hit me before they got married while they were still dating, and she told me flatly, no, they didn't. So it's going to get a little bit rougher here if you want to plug your ears. So eventually he began hitting me in front of her, giving me nosebleeds at age five, and she just stood there emotionless. After he began cheating on her openly in our community, she began picking fights with me so he would rush in and hit me to put me in my place saying this was discipline quote, a few times she walked away with him thanking him for defending her. I suspect this was for her to prove to herself that he still cared about her. Two quick memories for some greater context. My mom's husband was an emergency room doctor. My best friend, who I walked to and from school with every day, lived across the street. One day, her parents were involved in a car accident and were taken to the ER, the emergency room. Her parents told the stepfather that I was a wonderful and polite child who was having a very positive effect on their daughter. And the stepdad looked at them dead in the eyes and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they explained again that they were Lisa's parents who lived across the street and that I was a wonderful child. And they were thankful I was having a positive effect on Lisa. Again, he told them he had no idea what they were talking about. He didn't have any stepchildren and had no idea who they were even though they had met him before. Imagine what it was like to have them pull me aside privately to tell me this happened. I was eight years old. I had no framework to even process it. What was worse, when I got home after that conversation, my mom told me I was punished yet again because of it. I asked my mom to explain why I was grounded for two weeks, unable to leave the house, use the phone or TV or see any friends, because someone told her husband that I was a wonderful child. She just stared at me and never answered Uh uh-huh okay i have some thoughts about that the second memory explains why i am no contact with her now after years of therapy and working with her to get her to finally admit i had been abused as a child which she was able to do after denying it for over a decade we were walking down the street one day during a christmas visit talking about old times including her husband and i tried to emotionally connect with her about it and be vulnerable Uh uh-oh where's this gonna go I said, I always wanted a brother or sister, so at least I wouldn't have to be abused alone. I guess I hit a nerve because she replied with, your stepfather took one look at you and refused to have children with me. I was visibly shaken and said, what did you just say to me? And she contorted her face into a mocking expression and said, oh, get over it. It was just a joke. I walked back to her home, packed my bags and flew home and have never seen her again. My present situation is that I do now have the ability to see bad relationships and break up with someone, something I wasn't able to do before. Again, I credit your videos with all of the information I now have that helps me see things for what they are, including my own problems and issues to work on. However, there's a young man that I can't stop thinking about. I know this is limerence, but why doesn't knowing that make it stop? Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Why doesn't my healing and strength prevent me from falling into this trap? He's 31. We'll call him B. And I'm 49, but I look 38, according to everyone I meet, and I agree with them because I know it's true. So one day, I saw him on Facebook. He's an architect who gels with what I do, and she's an artist. He, he's very professional and looks older than his age. I thought he was about 36 to 40. He's got a light when he smiles, and even in photos, he commands a room. I heard a voice in my mind say, wow, I could really fall in love with this guy. Total limerence, just based on Facebook photos and posts. But let me tell you, when he messaged me on Facebook and showed some interest in me, I was all over it. I made plans to be in his town, and we met up. We drank, talked, flirted, and he asked me back to his house, and I happily said yes. We had a spectacular kissing session in the bar and went back, and then went back to his place. I held the line and didn't go all the way with him, but we fooled around and it was great. We don't live in the same town. Also, he let me know his wife had left him, confirmed, was divorcing him, and he was in a self-destructive phase of dating tons of women and drowning in his sorrows. I thanked him for his honesty, and he thanked me for being so thoughtful about everything as I accepted his situation. Then the next day he called me with a plan for us to become colleagues and work on a big project together, which I accepted. That was about a year ago. In the meantime, from that phone call until now, I had the recent boyfriend who I even brought along with me when I saw B again for the first time after our one night out. By the time the big project with B rolled around, I had broken up with my boyfriend, so I showed up to his hometown where the project was taking place, single. Even though nothing happened with B, we were texting a lot, built up more of a rapport, built some private jokes, found out we have tons in common, and became friends. His grandma even gave me preserves and food. She prepared in a little gift bag she gave to him to give to me. And to her amazement, I made her some food right back, and B and I went to her home so I could give it to her. She loved me and told me over and over how wonderful I am. So beautiful and thoughtful, sigh. After the project was over, we continued to stay in touch, and he said he wanted to do more projects, and we should team up to really do as many projects as possible. I made him my advisor for one grant, He wrote letters of recommendations for me, and he uses my CV, for my resume for his projects as his colleague. So here I am working with this man I thought I could resist, but all the initial feelings are still there, only stronger since we have the creative connection, the jokes, the projects to work on, and I'm in the pocket with his Nana, the person in his family who he's closest with. Please help me stop obsessing over him. You know I'm going to do it, too, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> I, live, I live for our interactions. I love our project ideas. I fantasize about him falling in love with me, wanting to be with me, and me the same with him. Of us being a cool power couple with a great life, doing cool projects, and just loving life reality he's too young for me i'm too old for him and he's in a different place in life and not in a good place emotionally himself there's never going to be anything with him so why am i experiencing limerence for him can you help why can't i just make it stop thank you for any insight you can give me and thank you for all the work you do all right from vivian thank you all right i got you here um What a bummer, Vivian, you know, I know like having that creative spark with somebody is one of life's most precious connections there is. And I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like, it's so tempting to want to make that into your romantic relationship. And you're a woman, this is a man, and if a man is being offered free sex, then even if he's not interested in you at all, a lot of times for many men, they will just arrange for that. I just am so glad he told you the real deal with him that he's on a self-destructive bender sleeping with lots and lots of women. That must feel terrible for you at being in love with him as you are. So, but good. All the, all the more this like gets you in the face, ah, it sucks. That's better. That's better for you. All right. You said you recently broke up with a guy who was not right for you and you don't talk about him, but you had to break up with him. Like at least he was into you. And I can't help but wonder, I don't know, maybe he wasn't right for you. You're not that you're, you're still, I, I, the stuff you told me about your childhood is so egregious, but I can see ways that it's still totally infecting who you are, how you interpret things and what you do. It's still there. So I don't know what kind of good relationship you would happen to stumble into in this case, but you didn't feel like this was right for you. Um, and you, but I'll tell you why I question the whole thing. You broke up with this guy when you got limerent about somebody impossible for you. Somebody who was on a self-destructive bender, drinking, sleeping with lots of women, way too young for you. Then you broke up with this guy that you were already with, who I guess was still willing to be with you. So I'm just, I'm questioning that. Okay. So you thought you would get abandonment melange and it didn't happen. Well, yeah, uh, one way that you can avoid abandonment melange is by basically self-medicating on an, on an addictive uh, delusion about another person, which is what you had gone into. That's what limerence is for. The reason you haven't been able to kick limerence yet is because your life is not fun. It's not happy. There's not meaning in there. You're not meeting your own emotional needs. You're not, uh, you're not having the full spectrum of what you need in your life to be happy. And because of the way you were raised, probably, hmm, You know, you just never learned how to do that. You got, you got much better at trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, you know, than actually building up a life that you love. You got better at like pretending this half-life you've got is like, oh, it's so great. It's going to be great. And having this total relationship where all your energy goes into a fantasy. What's tragic about that is, um you know, you put your energy in a fantasy and you basically threw it in the incinerator. Your precious energy for building a life, for creating great things in the world, for loving people, for solving the world's problems, whatever it is that you're made to do, you just threw that away. You just, it's like you took a big thing of milk and poured it on the floor. You told me about your mom and you said that she was an extremely malignant narcissist mom and i can tell you've been in therapy because you have a lot of insight about that and like i'm not a diagnostician but the stuff you told me is appalling terrible wow Uh, just terrible and all her stuff about having children who look a certain way my mom did that (laughs) i won't go into it right now but she you know she had an agenda for how her kids should look Luckily, it didn't last that long, but it was after I was born, and she felt like I just didn't come out blonde enough. I came out a bit dark. And, you know, my mom's Norwegian, and uh, my coloring was basically like you see now. It's I color my hair now, but this is about, I think my hair was a little lighter than this as a kid, and that was not enough. And also, my eyes aren't blue. She wanted blue eyes. Weird, huh? I tell you what, though. I didn't find out about that until I had a lot of healing under my belt. So all I do is just go, well, that's so weird. I don't take it personally. Um, I like the color of my hair and eyes. is just not something I've ever felt insecure about. So mm. a lot of things I have felt insecure about, but not that. So when you don't have personally carry a fear about something or the shape of your nose, when I was a kid, actually, I read, I think, is it in Little Women? One of the sisters sleeps with a clothespin. And I did that. I, it hadn't occurred to me that people should want a thin nose, but when I read it in Little Women, I was like, should you? Okay, I'll sleep with a clothespin, but it hurts. It hurts. And so that lasted for about, you know, 45 minutes. <laughs> Cut over it. And uh, I think once when I was a comedian, uh, an agent said that I should get a nose job and get my teeth fixed. And I couldn't afford it. And then I forgot all about it. So there you go. <laughs> Don't worry about that. So when I read about your mom, like shaming you again and again and, you know, like basically trying to breed a child with somebody and and then they didn't like how you turned out. And then she tried to she got she got pregnant against his will in order to get him more responsible. Like, did she say that? That's like, wow. I mean, at least sometimes if she admitted it and explained herself this way, at least you have the information instead of having to speculate. Maybe she just did that because, you know, she just wanted to get him to stay with her. But everything that you're describing does sound like somebody who has no conscience at all about affecting other people and is just trying to, what's the word, you know, create an image for themselves and then, you know, like destroy people as needed to keep the image going. So then she got this new guy with the nice nose. <laughs> Sorry, I can't stop laughing about the nice nose. What even is a nice nose? I don't know. But uh, and he was violent and unhinged and brutal. And your mom pretended she didn't see it and said, "Oh, thank you for defending me." And for whatever reason, I understand. I can see that. I can see that of getting you know like having to be defended from a nine-year-old girl by somebody hitting her. That's just really just violates everything in me. I just hate it. I hate that that happened to you. And uh, I blame you for nothing that you've struggled with after something like that. So then the ER doctor thing. Okay, this is interesting. For what it's worth, like this, this has, I take it her, that abusive husband is dead or not in the picture anymore, but why would he do that in the hospital and say, I don't know what you're talking about. You know what my guess is, is somebody else was present and he had a secret life where he was lying that he had a wife. That's, that's like one thing that would completely explain it. You know, that some other person was present in the room when they had that conversation. He's like, Oh, I don't have a wife. I don't have a kid. Just thinking, I don't know. We'll let the uh, commenters have a field day with that one. And, um, you, I, I also get it that, you know, he couldn't tolerate people praising you. That sounds like it really was the case, but for him to deny even knowing what they were talking about and say he didn't have stepkids, I feel like he was hiding something from someone else in the room. He was having an affair. If it's any satisfaction to you. Okay. So then you got home. And so let's just do my scenario that there was somebody else in the room he was having an affair with who was under the false impression that he was a single guy and he had to pretend he had no idea what these people were talking about. It was blowing his cover. What would he have had to tell your mom, right? What would he have had to tell her to get away with it? Because the neighbors would probably go to her and go, well, it was the weirdest thing. We saw Bob at the emergency room and he, he said he had no idea what we were talking about. And <laughs> He would have had to make something up, right? Yeah, you were punished for something he made up about you. And it sounds like that happened a lot, but that's what I'm guessing. He was just treating both of you just terribly, right? So you got grounded. And also because your mom is trying to, she's she's having to work really hard to be in denial about what's really going on, about how this man is abusing you and probably her to get in denial. And because she's just so bonkers here, of course she has to blame you. You're grounded. You know, this whole thing is going on of abuse and lies and you're grounded. That just, that makes, for everything you've told me about her, she always has to have some sort of like outlet to take all that anger out on, right? Because if she gets mad at him, I hate to think what he would do to her. I don't mean to just dismiss that. It's terrible. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Okay, so then this other thing happened This is why you have no contact with her. You had years of therapy. You worked with her to finally admit you had been abused and you're like, wow, she admitted it. Your mind thinks now everything's gonna be okay. You took a walk and you start trying to emotionally connect with her and be vulnerable. But if she's as narcissistic as you describe, of course, that's a terrible mistake, right? You should never try to emotionally connect or be vulnerable with somebody who treats you like that admitting abuse is not like suddenly not being the person that she was but you gave it a try i'm proud of you for giving it a try you tried you gave it a chance and you said i always wanted a brother or sister so at least i wouldn't have been abused alone so i could see how you totally had this fantasy that finally the two of you could debrief about what had been going on like wouldn't have that have been nice if she could have explained to you what it all meant and why what she was thinking and Tell you how sorry she was, but I don't think you got that. And you hit a nerve. And she said, he took one look at you and refused to have children with me. Back to her whole thing, her looksism, right? She's got this idea, like, people should look a certain way or they've let her down. And she hit you with that. Took one look at you. Is that what it was about? That you just, like, look terrible or you behave terrible? Or her her imagining that he didn't want children with a woman who had black hair and black eyes like what is her crazy trip here who even knows that's the thing when i'm outside this this dynamic with your malignant narcissist mom it's just like her her stuff doesn't make sense it's just so like selfish and cruel that for you to take it personally it's almost impossible not to do when it's your mother but i'm sure me and everybody in your life is just like oh girl forget this one you were visibly shaken and said, what'd you say? And she said, Oh, get over it. It's just a joke. Okay. That's the classic narcissist excuse, right? For saying something totally devastating, like that you have no sense of humor. It's just a joke. Okay. So you never saw her again. Okay. So we got her out of the picture. Now you start telling me about what's going on now. So I think Um, Do you know what Pollyanna-ish is? Pollyanna is a character, fictional character. And she just like sees the good in everything. And it's a really positive coping mechanism for us and can be used for great good. I, you know, I feel like I'm still a little Pollyanna-ish, but I think you're being Pollyanna-ish in in not such a good way because you say here, I now have the ability to see bad relationships and break up with someone, something I wasn't able to do before. So you, maybe you broke up with somebody you weren't into anymore, but you haven't broken up with a bad, a situation that's quite bad and completely robbing you of all your emotional and psychic energy. So I'm just sort of calling you on that. And it's like, nah, I don't think you have that yet, but at least the framework is around you. You're sort of like looking at it and asking yourself, are my actions now fitting this thing where I get realistic and that getting out of bad relationships is a good thing. You're there. So that's good. And you know you have issues to work on. Okay, so there's a young man you can't stop thinking about. You know it's limerence. I love your self-awareness. You keep telling me this stuff. But on one side of your mouth, you're saying, I know this is bad. I know it's not good. You know, it's it's limerence. And over here, you're like, but it's so amazing. It's like, it's not both, actually. It can't be both. It's it's just that you're limerent and you're trying to, your part of you is developed enough to start criticizing your limerence. And and uh, I believe you. Some Sometimes when people are in like a, limerent state they are just trying to like bs everybody they say what they know you're supposed to say so i hope you're not doing that i don't think you are i think you're actually like kind of partway healed and you you see the way but you you're now like now that you're limerent again it's like ugh, can't do it can't apply it so so this will be a tough love rest of the letter where i talk to you about about what what's happening and what to do all right He's 31, you're 49 Um, and you say, but I look 38 according to everyone I meet. When you said that, it sounded like your mom talking. Subsequently, everything you told me about him, it's not just the age. It's like he has zero emotional maturity and commitment ability to bring to a relationship with you at your 49 year old stage of life. So he has zero. It does not matter that you look 38. That doesn't fill the gap. It's looksism, you know what I mean? And, um, I, I thought about that a lot. I, and I thought, well, maybe she's just trying to tell me, trying to explain why a guy who's 31 would like somebody who's 49, that maybe, maybe there was merit in his feelings, why he would like us. He looks, and you said, he looks older than he is. He looks 36 to 40 and you look 38. So you're trying to say there's an overlap in the way you look and people tell you all the time, but that is your, I just, it just sounds like your mom. It just sounds like your mom. It's not about what you look like. It's about where you are in your life. And so it was interesting that you brought that up. And I've seen that before. I'm just going to say that, you know, I get a lot of letters. I read a lot of them. I don't always um, read them on a, answer them on a YouTube. I, I probably read 10 for every one that I accept. And I'll just tell you, I've noticed a pattern when there's been like a narcissistic mom who calls all this attention, very judgmental and critical of the daughter about looks, weight, food, body, in your case, nose, eyes, hair, right? Or was it just me who has the hair? I don't know. But when that's happening, there's a tendency to then get very caught up in it, and there's often a an attraction to um, uh, to somebody much younger. It's not often, but I've I've just seen this pattern before: the mother who's very looksist, and then the daughter who who's uh, I don't know having a limerent thing for somebody much younger, and then saying, "Oh, but you see the you know they I look so young, so it's okay." And I'm, what I'm sort of reading between the lines there, and this, this would be sort of a fear any, anybody might have if they were falling for somebody much younger is like, fear I'm getting older, fear I don't look good enough to be desired, right? That's so deep. That's just so deep in our consciousness. But... It has no place in a healthy relationship. Like, we have to be who we are and where we are. And then we make the most of that. It's great to, like, you know, dress beautifully, to be attractive, to, you know, show your lovely side of yourself. That's all good. But to try to say, well, I'm actually this thing, but I don't look like I'm this terrible thing of 49. So I'm 59. To me, 49 is young. <laughs> But 31, a 31-year-old man is really young, and it would be very, very rare that a relationship with that age difference would work out. It has before. We know a couple of, like, you know, the French president. or, <laughs> But it, it's, it's going to tend not to work out. These are very diff- different things. And so one of the things that I'm going to just put in front of you right now is there's a part of you that cannot deal with a fully available man, and uh, perhaps a part of you that's you know, doesn't feel very complete about a younger phase in your life, you know, and what feels like you got to revisit that because this current phase is not very good. Um, That could be it. I don't want to psychologize it too much. But I will say with pretty much certainty that you're not able to show up for a truly available person if all your emotional energy is pouring into somebody who not only is too young, but is flat out said, you know, just all this stuff. All right. But again, I will come back to the part that I hear that does work, which is the creative collaboration, which is not chopped liver. All right. So you saw him on Facebook, very professional, looks older. And then he reached out to you and his smile is so great. So he's he's a dazzling, charismatic person and you fell for him and you made plans to be in his town. Which is, yeah, okay. It's, it's, a level of, it's a level of planning that's acceptable if you're interested in somebody. It's just that, yeah, this is because we know what was really going on with him. It stands out as like you really trying to work your way into something that wasn't a good place for you. Um, we drank, talked, and flirted. Okay, so I'm just going to say, if you have attachment wounds from being raised the way you were, I'm going to suggest to you that you don't drink. Don't drink at all, or at least don't drink in the first months of dating a man. It's not your friend, it's gonna lower your inhibitions. It's going to um, make it really hard for you to do the very nuanced work of paying attention to the signals you're getting of staying in reality, of not crap fitting to whatever it is that's being asked of you, of not ignoring the difficult details and just jumping right in. Alcohol is not your friend. Anything intoxicating is not your friend. And that kind of stuff can be a fun part of life for people who don't have a problem for it, but for you after you're already in a relationship perhaps. And even then I would just say, maybe not, okay so if you're with somebody who's on a bender on a destructive drinking phase with dating tons of women and drowning his sorrows and you drink with him you've just jumped in the shark tank you're here you are a wounded person who was raised by somebody who was totally selfish right and you just jumped in with somebody who is totally selfish all right so you held, you, you said we had this great kissing session in a bar. So that's pretty radical. Like a guy you've just met and you have a kissing session in a bar and then go back to his house. I'm just going to put in front of you the word boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Um, you might feel like this was validation for you if you felt like, oh my gosh, a young man is interested in me. And yeah, there's that validation, but there's no boundaries here. And that's what happens when kids are raised by narcissists. They just have no idea how, you don't get to have boundaries. And so you're operating here. What's, what it's showing me is this is a phase of your healing that you're not there yet. Like you intellectually see that you don't wanna be in something right for you. If you wanna not be in something right for you, you cannot drink and make out in the bar with some with a guy you just met, right? I mean, just think this through, all right? If you're gonna heal from trauma and attachment wounds, and getting involved sexually with somebody is gonna just like hijack your brain, you're gonna to have to guard that tendency of yours very carefully. Much of it is a natural tendency to fall in love, you know, to feel sexual, to, you know, sort of get carried away in a new relationship. That's pretty normal, right? But the part that's trauma is just having this giant blind spot to the way this guy is just screaming with red flags. And this drowning of sorrows and dating, self-destructive phase, by the way, I would not say is a good person to be in business with either. And, um, and I've, had, I've been in business now for, I don't know, 22 years or something. And uh, I know all about like, <laughs> relying on people who can't be relied upon and thinking back about the red flags that I saw all along. And learning my lessons, again, about the boundaries that I have to have with that. So you thanked him for his honesty, but then he called you the next day and said, why don't we be friends? And you know, if you've watched my videos, you know how, you know how I am about that. The F word, (laughs) friends. We'll just be friends and you'll be in love with me and I'll be your friend and it'll be great for me. (laughs) right (laughs) it is great for them they can feed off all that energy for a guy drowning his sorrows just to have his go-to gal all the time that's perfect and then he can just go sleep with whoever i'm mad at him but there's no use being mad at him all that matters is that you wake up you just need to wake up Here's the cruel thing about limerence. Limerence will often awaken in you, your creative eyes. You will see things with a beauty and a depth that you haven't ever seen before. And that's part of how falling in love works on our brains. And you're having that brain part of falling in love, but you're not actually getting the love experience of being with somebody. And, you know, I think that they're going to find out one day (laughs) that... You know how with a fight or flight response, like if you don't ever run or you know, you get this all this adrenaline, it's it's so that you can run, so that you can run away from the tiger. But if there's no tiger and you don't run and you just sit there like stewing and all those um, stress hormones, it's really hard on your body. And so likewise, I think trauma also causes you to overactivate, like your your bonding and falling in love sequence. Your hormones, your brain activity switches on, but there is no relationship. And so We end up loving a phantom. We end up with all this energy going into a phantom. And unfortunately, you know, I I say this again and again, that the energy of you, in your case, a woman falling in love is one of the universe's most powerful energies for creating things. All right. This is a huge creative force. And you've been given a great big chalice of it in yourself. You know, you have the creative power to do great things. If you take that power and you've, Throw it on people who are on a destructive bender and then keep pretending in a fantasy that you're getting it back. I'm telling you what's ahead for you is not fun, not pretty, not creative, not fulfilling. And so I'm just coming in here with very tough love. Um, I answered a letter today from a young woman who's doing something slightly similar, but at, at 21, it's one thing, at 49, I'm exhorting you. I'm like, time to get real, time to get real about the rest of your life. And it's so important to get these energy vampires out get them out open your eyes you're not getting anything back here you're getting all you're getting back is hope and hope is addictive but it doesn't turn into fulfillment hope it ends up being quite depressing and then you have to do more and more in the pursuit of hope to get it hope is our dope um so okay so here's another thing why i'm getting so tough love on you you said, uh, it was about a year ago when you first met with him about becoming colleagues and you were still with the, the ex-boyfriend. And, and you had that, you were still with him and you brought him along with you when you saw him again for the first time after this makeout session. So I'm calling you out on this. It is, okay. First of all, I'll just tell you, everything that you're talking about, I've done things at least as inconsiderate and unkind to other people. But bringing along the guy you're dating to the guy you had a fling with is really, really cold-hearted and inconsiderate to the guy that you are dating and dishonest, all right? I'm calling you out on it because I know you want help with this and time is short. When you're 49, like it's time. It's time for you to get real. And what is so important, you were raised by somebody who couldn't care about other people. So I'm here just going like, Vivian, it's time to care about other people you cannot possibly build a loving relationship in the context of you treating other people like things like props bringing to a meeting with the guy you're crazy about and making out with. Okay. I'm not sure if you see that. So you broke up with the guy and maybe he wasn't right for you, but that's not a crime. He didn't deserve to be treated like that. He didn't deserve to witness that energy Or to be made to feel how I would imagine he felt being in the room with that, you know, that like heady, addictive, oh my God, you know, feeling that you were having with this other guy who I will suspect didn't care either about the fact of this boyfriend. The big project rolled around, you had broken up, so you showed up in his hometown where the project was taking place single. And you say that, and I, I'm reading into it, you know, that you had high hopes that you would convert him out of his self-destructive drunk sleeping around thing to being who you hoped he was, which is very unlikely to work out, among other reasons because when people will put up with that, it sh- it casts shade on their attractiveness. It, it It's like, Attachment wounds cue potential partners that we are not relationship material. I know. I'm giving you so much tough love today here. But I just feel, I just feel moved to do it, Vivian, out of, you know, I just have been there. I know how to get out of it. I'm going to tell you what to do. You have to wake up to the, the self, the way you're tricking yourself, the way you're tricking other people and get back in touch with what a relationship is, which is caring about another person. It's caring about them and loving them and supporting them and hoping they'll become their best self, and it's mutual. A good relationship is where two people really want that for each other. I'm also somebody who finds that that creative collaboration with people is one of the closest connections you can have. I love my work, and when people work with me, it's like, it's the closest kind of friendship I have. Most of my friends, we do work on projects together, at least, or they work in this company, um, because we're, we're on a common mission together, and that really is real, and that's something. And I appreciate that you had this, but this part where you're trying to get in all good with his grandma, this is where I feel really sad for you, because I hear that you need that. You need a family. You need a family. You need the man with a family who thinks you're wonderful and makes jam for you and is delighted that you cook and adores you and thinks you're great. And, and you need the man who you have jokes on and you create something together. That is the most natural thing in the world. You need it. But you're forming it. Do you remember that scientific experiment? I don't know. They taught about this when I was in college about they took a little baby monkey away from its mom at birth. And they gave it a wire mom. And the wire mom had a little bottle in it so it could get milk. And it it had a little patch of like fake fur on it and some wire in the shape of a mother monkey. And the little baby would hold on to the wire and drink out of the bottle. But eventually it died. And I read about this when I was probably, I don't know, in high school or something. Oh, and I just cried and cried and cried. It hit a bad nerve in me. It's really sad. And I just think you're kind of holding on to the wire monkey of a, of a partner with this relationship. And it's very sad and it's not, gonna, it's not feeding you. It's feeding you hope. And maybe you're making some money. But as I mentioned before, the thing about people who are totally unstable emotionally is they're not even good business partners. So potentially you're throwing away the stability of your career for the fantasy of being in this great, you know, power couple dynamic that you can picture. I get it. I think that, you know, what a lovely thing. Perhaps you will have that with somebody, you know, some famous actors, they don't like being with actors. They like being with normal people because the headiness, the headiness is not really great for people with addictive tendencies or trauma. You need people who are grounded. You need people who um, participate in like setting the table, making dinner, doing the dishes, you know, figuring out, making sure the porch is swept, all that stuff, the domestic part of life that you can do together is very much part of what helps traumatize people just ground and feel connected to the world and start to open up their hearts and minds in a way that we were never able to do as kids. The groundedness and safety that you did not get as a kid from somebody who sees you and loves you. Now, somebody who sees you and loves you would never try to take from you your emotional energy in this vampiric way i'm not trying to make him a bad guy i just think he's a bad choice for you that's what i'm saying pretty definitely here right i i often am a little bit easier going but i just think given what you've been through it's so important for you to take care of your future like this okay so please stop obsessing over him I live for our interactions. Okay. So that's the, that's the addiction. The addiction makes it feel life and death that you need an interaction for him. And I know about that, like seven more hours and I'm going to see him. I know what that's like. What am I going to wear? That's limerence. All right. You live for the interactions. You love the project ideas, fantasize about them, but why can't you make it stop? And you just told me why. All right. Because you don't have a life outside of this that you're living for. And it's very rare that somebody gets rescued from a life, an empty life by somebody who completely makes their life. Great. That's a fantasy. It's usually like two people with a pretty good life come together and make a somewhat better life together. That would be, that would be a very realistic model. So you need a pretty good life and a pretty good life is one that's fun where you have friends, you have things to do. You have things that are very meaningful to you. You're doing acts of service. You're actually like serving other people. It's very hard to feel happy if you're not contributing in that way. And you can't make it stop because you're continuing to have contact with him. That's why. If you're really ready to make this stop and heal your life, here's what you do. You stop taking new contracts. You complete the contracts you have. And with almost no fanfare, you just say, I'm not going to be doing new contracts with you. And when he goes, well, let's get together and talk about something. Say, sorry, I can't do that. You don't have to make a speech. You don't have to break up with him. You guys are not boyfriend and girlfriend. And you're also not partners in a company, whatever you do, do not become partners in a company. So he's putting your resume on proposals that he puts out. Um, He can do that, uh, but you're not gonna take any jobs and you you can be as clear as you can. I'm saying very little fanfare, very little drama for your own sake to just sort of ease on out of that whole thing, you have an extremely uncommitted little partnership there, which is good, you can get out. You need to stop having contact with him. Then you need to stop talking about him. If you need a place to get your feelings out, cause it's, you know, it's just like so much emotion, right? Just p- go check out my daily practice course. That's what it's for. It's about taking your distressed thoughts and feelings and getting them out on paper twice a day and this is a little, this is a little technique, well-known. You, you don't let yourself talk about a, a bad thing. You let yourself write about it. And if you really want to do that, you get a buddy and you can read to them about it. But do not get into indulgent conversations with women friends about this guy or everything you loved about him or you know everything you hoped or what a jerk he is there's nothing to be gained by analyzing this it's an addiction it'd be like going and talking about well let's talk about heroin you know here's everything i loved about it like you've done that before you've already done that before a therapist might be okay for that but i will tell you that I spent like two years trying to deal with a case of limerence in a therapist's office where all she did was go, tell me more, tell me more. And she was a a good therapist, you know, by, uh, you know, a professor, like had training, all that stuff. And it nearly killed me. I needed somebody to go, cut it out, cut it out. This is like bullshit. It's a fantasy. Just stop. And the minute somebody did that stuff started to get better for me. I just needed to be called on it. And yes, you're right. You do see reality. He's too young for you. You're too old for him. You're in a different place. Um, He's not in a good place emotionally himself. There's never going to be anything with him. And so, so why limerence? Uh, Just, just because... For you right now you still have enough fantasy delusion going on that you can keep thinking that there's anything to be gained by spending time talking about him or thinking about him yes you can stop thinking about somebody and this is a trick i learned in my teen years that if you want to stop thinking about something you just discipline yourself to do it i'm not going to think about that now or worry you can do this with something you're worried about i'm not going to worry right now you set yourself a time when you can think about it and nowadays, I always do the daily practice. I'm writing my fears and resentments. That's a 15 minute chunk, basically, usually maybe a little less, sometimes quite a bit more. And that's where I can obsess on things and get it out on paper, ask for it to be removed, rest in meditation, and then get back to the here and now. Because here and now is where all your potential is, all your power. So come back to us, Get come back from the land of the dead with, with relationships that don't exist and will never happen, all right? That's a ghost town. Come back. It's full of life over here. There's plenty of future ahead for you if you can begin to show up for it. And yeah, there will be a feeling of withdrawal at first. And that's why you need tools, which is what we have here with the membership and courses and everything. And you need support. You need friends who are walking this path too. In your case, I would suggest maybe checking out Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. I think that might be a place where you can meet other women walking the path. Whatever you do, stay away from the men there. It's not a place to pick up guys to date. Yeah. Think about it. Okay. (laughs) One is enough. One person with this problem is enough and just go there and find women friends and look for the ones who have the most recovery and get yourself a sponsor. Find the woman who really has worked the steps and has changed her life and see if she'll help you do the same. If you're watching this and you think maybe your trauma has affected your ability to have romantic relationships, I have a quiz for you, a relationship quiz, and it lists off common signs and you can see if you have those. And that is on the free tools page of my website where I have a series of quizzes and the free daily practice course. That's a really good place to start if you want to check some of this stuff out that I teach. Uh, It's at my website, crappychildhoodfairy.com. Free tools page, also linked down below in the description section. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs in the episode description below, or on my website, crappychildhoodfairy.com. If you're going through a hard time and you need online therapy, I encourage you to check out BetterHelp. They're easy and affordable, and they can connect you with someone you choose within a few days. And if you use this special URL, you not only help this channel, but you get 10% off your first month of therapy. So go to betterhelp.com slash ccf, as in crappy childhood fairy. That's betterhelp.com slash ccf. And remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.